Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Suffice it to say, it has been a rough couple of weeks since our last episode. So I wanted to say this before I dove into what is our normal episodic topics and approach, because frankly, things have not been normal over the last couple of weeks. And that's for the best. Events have unfolded around the world that have opened mine and a lot of other people's eyes to the plight of marginalized communities, especially here in the U.S., but I'm sure the world over. And I feel the need to say three words very plainly and succinctly, black lives matter. I say that not as someone who didn't realize that before, but I didn't realize the importance of saying it. I always assumed it was enough to show by way of how I treated other people, by way of, you know, I tried to be the example of how to treat people. But I realize that now that's not enough. I have to use my words as much as my actions because my words carry some weight too. So, in keeping with the decision made by the rest of the network we took an extra week off I took one week off because the topic that we're going to be covering is very delicate is very emotional and it was one I wanted to give the due diligence to to make sure I did a good job handling it but also once everything started once the protests and the, the unspeakable violence by police around those protests broke out. The Constructive Criticism Network decided to stand in solidarity with those of you who are protesting, who are out there, who are showing the courage that, frankly, I don't have. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about losing my job. Things that, to me... You know, I'm in a position of privilege where I don't have to worry about making this change for myself and my family. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to do my best to amplify the voices of the people who are not so fortunate. So, if you are someone who wants to be a part of this show... and you have a unique perspective to offer, let me know. Reach out to me. We will work something out. So, without any further ado, welcome into Homeward Path. This is episode 74. My name is Adam, husband, father of three. I just got done probably what was it, eight hours today, roughly five hours through the week, so hour 53 work this week, 
Uh, we work a full-time, you know, I work a full-time job, overtime, three children at home, family, work, somehow, some way, we try to find our way through all of the rest of that to make competitive magic work, to make competitive magic a possibility. And, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's a little easier now than it has been in a while thanks to the advent of online events. Uh, Star City Games just announced this past week that they're moving the SCG tour to Magic Online or uh, to Magic Arena, rather. So you know, even more ways to play big Magic events for real prizes, for real things that matter, without having to leave my home. That's really exciting. But what I wanted to talk about this week was something that was suggested to me by one of my patrons, my newest patron, Brandon Wheeler. And Brandon has been a supporter of the show for a long time, despite not being able to support financially. Sorry, i got to move the mic a little bit here. Uh, we got a new one of those. It's, we, can, we can probably just thank Brandon directly for helping make that possible. Got a new microphone. But, Brandon wanted to talk about the subject broaching mental health and how it relates to Magic the Gathering. The negatives, because when we do good news, bad news, we always want to get the bad news first. And then the positives. And for the positives, rather than just kind of spit out a list of stuff, I decided I would share some stories. I'd start with mine because by the time I get to it, I'm still going to be driving. And it's not going to be safe to look at the rest of the stuff going on. It's not going to be safe to pull up the messages on my phone yet. But I can tell you mine. And then by the time I get done with mine, I'll be able to give you Brandon's story. Or I'll be able to give you the stories of two of my patrons. Uh, Kevin, who was our very first. And Brandon, who's our most recent. But first, we're going to slide into the fast lane, and we're going to hit on two points about the same deck, because one of the benefits to being a patron of the show is that $3, your concept for the deck, the deck tech section, the fast lane, is the one that gets moved to the front of the line. Well... Consequently, it was also one I'd been waiting to talk about. So it just made it really easy when Brandon suggested, hey, I want to do this deck. Yes, sir. That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. That's good because that's what I wanted to do anyway. <laughs> um, the deck in question, I know it's technically called Jeskai Cycling because there's blue cards in it. And some of them in standard actually go the full extra mile and splash ominous seas. But... I mean, let's be real. This is Boros cycling in standard. And there's a couple of reasons I really, really like this deck. First of all, it is aggressive, linear, and unbelievably straightforward. And those are things I really, really like for introducing someone to competitive magic. It is a really good deck to get into, to use, to teach someone both when they're playing their own cards and you want to show them what a more tuned deck looks like and then when you want to use 
that more tuned deck is a way to get your 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 new student up to speed with competitive game concepts. It allows them to learn through the lens of something that is frankly easy to play. It's easy to put the pieces together. And speaking of pieces, when it comes to Boro Cycling and Standard, there's really only a core of 20 cards plus 19 lands, and then the whole rest of the deck is just concessions to the fact that you're playing uh, Lurus of the Dream Den as your companion. You want to play four copies of Flourishing Fox because that is the... There's two payoffs that are really, really good for being a cycling deck in Standard. Flourishing Fox is the fastest one. It's the one that puts your opponent down. It's the one that establishes the tone the game is going to take. I liken it to Long Tusk Cub in the energy decks. If that thing goes unopposed, your opponent's in for a really rough time. They're going to be they're going to be swimming in pressure before they realize what's happened. And you're not even going to have expended cards to make it big. In that vein, it is very, very similar to Long Tusk Cup, except instead of, essentially, instead of being a two-mana 2-2, two -two, it's a one-mana 1-1. One -one. And it's white, so that just naturally makes it worse, right? That's, that's how magic works. If you have to play planes in your deck, that makes your deck worse. I, 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 I jest, but it's taken me a long time to come around on the idea of playing basic planes again. After all, my first episode on Pure MTGO was the problem with basic planes, and here I am now extolling the virtues of a one-mana, one-one white creature. How far we've all come. But Flourishing Fox just... It's, it's everything you want in a linear deck centerpiece card. Right? It's aggressive. It's cheap. It pays you off really well for what you're trying to do. And it's just really good. Oh, and by the way, multiple copies fuel each other. You've got one on the table and they're not doing anything about it. Well, let's just keep making it bigger because I can cycle the one I drew. And that's true of all these payoff cards with the lone exception of the non-creature that we'll get to in a minute. The rest of the payoff cards are admittedly worse than Flourishing Fox. There is no getting around that. But the one that is the smallest step down in quality from Flourishing Fox is Valiant Rescuer. Is one in a white, I believe a 3-1 creature. And the first time you cycle each turn, yours or your opponent's, create a 1-1 token. I can't remember if it's a human soldier or so. I, I genuinely cannot remember what kind of token it is because I so infrequently have it on the battlefield. Notably, Valiant Rescuer also has cycling. There's a, there's a theme here. It kind of permeates through the whole deck. It's like it's built around cycling. It's wild. But where Flourishing Fox wants to go really tall, just wants to become a big old swole fox, Valiant Rescuer wants to go wide. Valiant Rescuer wants, is, is infinitely better as like a four drop than Flourishing Fox is. Or Valiant Rescuer is a four drop, you cast it for two, you cycle once on your turn, cycle once on their turn in response to their removal spell, you get two bodies out of your one creature. 
and you haven't lost any cards. And then your other two payoff cards on the creature side, and the only other two creatures you generally play are uh, Droneth Healer and Droneth Stinger. Healer, every time you cycle, you gain a life. Stinger is every time you cycle, deal one damage to your opponent. They're the worst two, but they are still payoffs. They are still cards that can allow you to close a game out. If you bludgeon your opponent down low and resolve a stinger with mana open, you can kill your opponent. These are things that happen some amount of the time. And then the last payoff and the last like core card for the main deck is Zenith Flare, and oh my heavens, did we save the best card for last. If ever there was a card that finally makes a linear cycling deck viable, not just in standard, but even in older formats, it's Zenith Flare. That card is so good. Zenith Flare being able to brain your opponent, like, as a four drop, if you fox on one, cycle, cycle on two, cycle, cycle, cycle on three, Zenith Flare kills their 5-5 and gains 5 life. And then you attack with your Fox again. And then you continue to play Magic for a couple of turns. And then your second Zenith Flare is just for the rest of their life total. Come on. That's ridiculous. That is just bananas. Bananas. Ridiculous. Powerful. Come on. Don't deny that one. That one's way too good. And then the entire rest of the deck, honestly, like, yeah, every once in a while I'll cast some of the cards that the deck is playing. Like, Footfall Crater is kind of reasonable. You can, it allows you to tap the land you enchant to give a creature haste, which is relevant when you draw a fox late in the game. You can just jam it down on the table, cycle a few times to make it bigger, and then throw it directly at your opponent's face. Um, I can't remember it's uh, Go For Blood or uh, Go For Blood I think it is that gives double strike uh, yeah I, I, I can't remember any of the rest of the cards if I'm being honest I know Boon of the Wish Giver's in there and it's because it's a card that cycles for one mana and Memory Leak is in there because it's a card that cycles for one mana like the whole rest of the deck is just non-permanent spells that cycle for one mana so that you can still play Luris as your companion in order to buy back your foxes and rescuers and stingers and healers later in the game. Now, why are we talking about a deck that is so delightfully simple and a deck that is so cheap to a lot of players, both from a, obviously from a financial standpoint, because a large portion of these cards are draft chap box all-stars but also from a gameplay aspect it feels kind of filthy when you run somebody over with flourishing fox just like it felt dirty when you bodied people by resolving gates ablaze and beating them to death with gatebreaker rim like was the deck great no but it was so much fun and that's kind of where the cycling deck falls. It's very good, but it's never going to be the best deck. 
but it offers a unique perspective and one that I want to bring to this show more often, which is the idea of an entry point into magic. The Boros Cycling Deck offers the best entry point into playing competitive magic that I've ever seen. Because for 30 bucks, you can get started with this deck. You can, you know, sleeve it up, get going. You know, 40 bucks, I guess, if you're buying sleeves. Get this deck built and play. Well, maybe here in a couple of weeks, you've got to play Pioneer instead of Standard. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Oh, that's right. Gate to the Afterlife and Godfarer's Gift are cheap magic cards that really want you to have a lot of creatures in your graveyard. And this was something that Saffron Olive did on MTG Goldfish. I highly recommend checking that out because it was uh, obviously where I got the idea from. But Gate to the Afterlife with Godfarer's Gift alongside the Cycling Creatures core. Now, obviously, if you're going to play Gate and Gift, you can't play Lurus's Companion. Which just means you get to play more creatures. It also means you get to play Hollow One in your deck. You get to pick up Flame Blade Adept, which is another powerful one drop at applying pressure. You know, you Flame Blade Adept on turn one and then cycle, cycle on turn two. Cycle, 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 drop all my Hollow Ones in my hand on turn three. That's a lot of damage. And now your opponent is on a clock that they have to, you know, your opponent has to answer the bell now. Because you've, you've attacked them for three, then attacked them for four and put 12, you know, let, let's put eight power on the table. Like, that's a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And it has the benefit of being a different kind of cycling deck than the standard one because Luris is the kind of card that gets bodied by Grafdigger's Cage as your grinding engine. Godfarrow's Gift does not. For those of you who don't know, Gate to the Afterlife allows you to go get Godfarrow's Gift out of your hand, library, or graveyard as long as you have six or more creatures in your graveyard and you sacrifice the Gate to the Afterlife cost you the sum total of five mana. Well, if you want to add Luris to your hand and cast Luris, it costs you the sum total of six mana and gives you a 3-2 lifelink as your, your payoff immediately. If you cast and activate Godfarer's Gift for five mana, that buys you a 4-4 with haste immediately if you, if you move to combat. It probably buys you back the flourishing fox they killed on turn one. <laughs> like if you go fox on one, cycle, cycle on two, cycle, cycle, cycle on three, maybe you drop hollow ones and then your opponent clears the board. You zenith flare away a big attacker on, on your turn four. And then you gate to the afterlife into Godfarer's gift on five. And you just reanimate a flourishing fox. Bring you for four. Pass turn. Okay, my turn. Reanimate another flourishing fox. Cycle, cycle, cycle. Kill you. Like, that's really powerful. 
that that's going to kill some people. And not to mention, you pick up additional cycling payoffs. There's a vile manifestation that gets uh, plus one, plus oh for each cycling creature in your graveyard. Well, you naturally want to play more creatures in this version anyway. Giving the Black Splash to go to Mardu gives you access to more... Um, more one-mana cyclers and more cycling payoffs. Archfiend of Ifnir will rip your opponent's board apart if you get that thing into play. And unlike um, the, the standard version, if you wanted to splash black into it just to play it fair in Pioneer, you don't have to pay five mana for specifically Archfiend of Ifnir. You pay five mana to cast and activate Gate to the Afterlife. The Archfiend of Ifnir comes out of your graveyard, well gets exiled from your graveyard and then a token gets made of it for free later. And you can experiment with the possibility of playing fewer actual cycling cards and in turn you probably play no copies of Zenith Flare. But in return you get to play stuff like Champion of Wits, Combat Celebrant, and Vizier of Many Faces so that you can mix the cycling start that you want with a combo kill from Gate to the Afterlife if you get to activate it. Like, the more cycling cards you have, the faster you get to six creatures in the graveyard, which means the easier it is to cast and activate uh, Gate to the Afterlife. But if you Champion of Wits on turn three and draw two, discard, combat, celebrant, Vizier of Many Faces, your opponent might just die on turn five. So, it gives you an easy path from Standard to Pioneer, but it doesn't end there. One of the most underrated budget entry points into modern is Living End. A deck filled with cycling creatures and like one expensive card. The namesake card, Living End. Normally you kind of have to build your deck like you're playing Karuga. You have to play nothing except Living End that costs three or less. Or costs less than three. But if you play the As Foretold Electrodominance version or you play like the Electrodominance Karizev's Expertise version, and then play the Flourishing Fox Valiant Rescuer, you gain the ability to start fast with Flourishing Fox or Valiant Rescuer, then Flameblade Adept and Hollow One, you get to maintain that same core we were just talking about in Pioneer, move it into, into Modern, well now you also pick up uh, Karizev's Expertise, Street Wraith, uh, what is it, Electrodominance, the ability to cast the Living End from your hand, you have enough cycling cards to go find it. And then if it resolves, you reset the board and bring all your stupid stuff back. Or you can still play the Gate to the Afterlife deck with just even more and better payoff cards. So as an entry point into playing Magic the Gathering, I love the cycling deck. So thank you, Brandon, for suggesting it this week. And now we're going to slow things down and we're going to talk about mental health and Magic the Gathering. As I take a drink of water to try to fortify my voice. Magic is a wonderful game. Unfortunately, it seems to be made by... A company that likes to deal in horrible people, but we'll get to that in a minute. Every, nearly everything in your life is going to have some amount of negative to go along with the positive, 
and it's our job to try to figure out if it's a net positive at the end of the day. Well, here are some of the negative impacts that magic can make on your everyday life if you are really invested in it. First and foremost is placing too much of your self-esteem on your wins and losses, on your results. Feeling like, you know, even though we're trying to improve, even though we're trying to get better, I can't see it borne out because I keep losing games. Even though I'm I'm trying to do things right, I can't win, and it feels like that, that it's grating. It gets on you. It wears on you. And I understand that. It's, it's not easy. Especially for someone like me who doesn't get to go. You know, even when big paper events are in full swing, I don't get to go play a lot of them. I played one PPTQ and Grand Prix in the last calendar year. Uh, we did not fire a 1K. Like, we, we didn't even make an attempt. And every other tournament I could go to was at least a two-hour drive away. And I just, I couldn't justify spending that much on gas, then spending that much on an entry fee without the experience to go along with something like a Grand Prix, getting to meet a bunch of people and all of that. So, you know, I, I, I did the responsible adult thing. But it makes it difficult when you're wanting to demonstrate how far you've come and you, the, the opportunities you get to do so, you end up, not, you end up crashing and burning. The second is dealing with toxic community members, and oh, let me tell you, I've dealt with a bunch of them. The magic community is simultaneously the best and the worst thing about the game. Because in a room full, in a, in a diverse crowd like the magic community is, you are bound to have a lot of different voices jawing at each other, yelling at each other, insisting upon themselves. And it always seems like the most toxic ones are the ones that are screaming the loudest. Whether they are or not, those are the ones you hear, and those are the ones you can't help, that, that can't help but gnaw at you. As a content creator, it's doubly, it, it's got to be doubly effective. I say it's got to be because I've been fortunate to not have a lot of, a lot of backlash from my listeners. The, the criticism I've been I've, I've gotten over the last few years has largely been constructive and when it hasn't been necessarily the most constructive criticism I know it comes from a good place so I'm thankful for that and I hope it continues the next one is the fear of missing out because they release so many cards there are so many set releases every year now. I can remember like clockwork when I first started playing Magic. We'd have three base sets, core set, every year. October, February, May, July. That's all we got. Sometimes we got special product releases like the, the premium deck series or the dual decks. Sometimes it was promos, sometimes it was the, the player rewards. 
the market is just wildly saturated now. We get so many releases between our base set and core sets. We're still doing those. We're still doing three three base sets and a core set every year. But we're also doing master sets. We're doing special, the secret layer drops. We're doing commander set drops. We're doing brawl deck drops. We're doing uh, just so many cards coming out all the time. And it can be difficult to slow yourself down and kind of take it all in. And especially from someone in my position where we're trying to be careful with the amount of money we spend. All these things coming out can wear you down. You feel like you're not making any progress on, you know, building your collection into something you can hang on to that's tangible, that's that's gonna that's gonna give you a long-term gameplay investment when they keep throwing more stuff at you. There's the pressure of the constant format churn, constantly having to update decks and build new ones and find out what your matchups look like. And Oh, do I even have an event this weekend? Why do I care? Well, I can't afford to get behind. Creates a stress where maybe there shouldn't be any. And then last but not least, in current times, dealing with what I can only describe as the feeling of guilt at continuing to play and defend the game despite the horrible the horrible business practices of the people making it Wizards of the Coast had a lot of skeletons come out of their closet this week whole lot of things came to light about the way they've been treating people over the years and it's not good Their reaction was also a, a, a mixed bag, to say the least. It was something that needed to be done, yes, but it does not address the issues that were brought up at all. For those of you who don't know, I believe it was seven cards, and you can find the official list and statement from Wizards of the Coast on Twitter. But seven cards got banned from any and all sanctioned play because of their depictions of racist propaganda for lack of a better term you can't gather or search those cards anymore it'll show up but it won't tell you what it does and there will be no image so there's a reason I continue to play Magic, though. I don't play Magic to support Wizards of the Coast. I play Magic to support my local game store, the place where I have been able, I have been welcomed, despite being largely an outcast child for most of my life. I am 31 years old, and there are times I still feel like an outcast child. But I'm welcome there. People from all walks of life, people from all race, gender, creed, spiritual beliefs, everybody's welcome at the local game store if the community is cultivated in the correct manner. And I'm really thankful to my, to my store owner for doing such a good job of making sure that if people are making other people feel uncomfortable 
we don't keep them there. And if we are doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable, we encourage an environment of, you know, let us know we will stop doing it. So with all of that, you know, th- those are the negatives. Those are some of the negatives when it comes to Magic the Gathering. And again, as I said, rather than go out on a list and, you know, fire off a bunch of positives that sound like they were cobbled together by somebody trying to do a last-ditch defense of something that was on its way out, I want to talk about the story of how Magic the Gathering has impacted my life in the, in the manner that it has. I started playing Magic at the age of 14. It was the fall of 2004. Champions of Kamigawa had just released. And Brett and I had gotten very tired of playing Yu-Gi-Oh! We weren't even playing Yu-Gi-Oh! competitively, but we just, we got tired of playing it. It wasn't fun anymore. And Brett suggested that we buy into Magic. We get, you know... We trade our Yu-Gi-Oh stuff in. We get magic cards. That would be really cool. Well, we come along down the line later, and uh, I, I finally decided to take the plunge with it. You know, at first I was really leery. I didn't want to learn a new game. I'd, I'd just gotten like fairly good at that one. I kind of wanted to take it easy for a while. But then I saw the theme deck sitting on the shelf at Walmart. I didn't have a local game store at the time. I lived in a town where my nearest local game store was like a 45-minute drive from the house, and it was across two counties. You know, I grew up in rural West Tennessee. (laughs) When I say rural, I mean rural. But I ended up buying in. It was a really, you know, the game hooked me almost immediately. But the the striking contrast of both how different and how much the same it was compared to what I had learned in Yu-Gi-Oh. And it was the kind of game that, you know, it made me excited to play it every time because it felt like the games were different. Even when a lot of the same cards showed up, the gameplay was different. There were more decisions to make. There was more going on. And at the end of the day, that's what we need, right? Just more going on. That's why magic has stood the test of time as well as it has. There's so many decision points. There's so much that you can do. Well, eventually, through a friend of ours that we played with in the morning, and ironically enough, uh, he, uh, Justin, is is biracial and he was one of one of my first one of my earliest magic friends you know we we competed with each other pretty regularly we had a lot of fun playing magic together and he ended up introducing me to two friends in the town i live in now and that's where my competitive drive really started to kick in because these guys built better decks than me and justin did And one of them, Matt, is still a friend of mine. We don't talk as often as we used to. 
because like me, he's got a job, he's got a family, and I understand that. He's got three children of his own, and his are older than mine. So, higher maintenance. He also lives in the Nashville area, and I do not. So, it's, it's harder for me to get up there to see you. But, you know, through magic, I made a lifelong friend. You know, it's someone I care for deeply. It's someone that I know, you know, in, in times of trouble, he has been there. I've tried to be there for him in the same. And, you know, through magic, we, we created a, a, a friendship, a long and lasting bond that even, even when I took my break from magic, we were still friends. And bear in mind, I ended up taking my break. I didn't know I was going to come back. But we were still friends. But I went from, you know, kitchen table and, you know, uh, breakfast table at school to really wanting to find a way to find out how much better I'd gotten. And that's when we started going to the local game store. I, I'd catch rides with them. And we'd go play once or twice a month. You know, for my mother, it was easy. It was an easy decision for her because it was send me to send me to Jackson with friends of mine for five dollars and the cost of food. And I was out of her hair for three hours. Cool. <laughs> she loved tournament nights. It was quiet at the house. But there I met. My first time in this in the local game store, I went with one of the other guys from McKenzie and his brother. We went up and we played at the the I think it was one of the two game stores in in Jackson at the time. And it was my first tournament, and I got my teeth kicked in by the person who drove me. And despite that, I made two more lifelong friends that evening. The first was Chad, who, <laughs> I know he's a Chad, but he was a Magic player at the time, and he has since let the game go. He's, he's become more interested in, in traditional esports, if you will, and just video gaming in general, computer, IT, that kind of thing. That's become his game. But he still has some of the more legendary magic moments in the area. And then another who has been a guest on this show before in Brian Canada, better known as Cure for the Common Game on YouTube. Brian was one of the first people I got to, to meet after losing my tournament match because back then we played single elimination FMs. We would drive 45 minutes one way to play single elimination FMs. That's how much we wanted to play competitive magic. And eventually we got we got better. You know, we took our lumps early on, but we got better. And over time I built I, I built my self-esteem up through the fact that I could feel myself improving because I was winning. Well, then I moved off. I went up north. 
and I knew no one except my wife, who I, I moved up officially because I got a, it was the only school that gave me a scholarship, but it was also so I could be close to her after her family had packed up and moved her away our senior year in high school. And we connected through music. Uh, we were both in band. But magic was something we both enjoyed too. Uh, she came by the house one evening while, while Brett was still there after having dropped me off from school. And Brett and I were playing magic and she says, what in the world is that? And we explained it. She says, oh, well, that's really cool. Can I learn? Can you teach me? Like, well, I barely know myself, but hey, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> and to this day, she'll still, hey, we need to have a commander night. We need to get we need to get people over. Let's do a commander night. I mean, obviously not right now. We have precautions in place. We're not gonna have a big one. But Commander Night at the Spain House is not an unusual occurrence. And I, you know, even though I ended up taking a break from magic, when I decided to pick it back up, she says, okay, you know, do it, have fun. I enjoyed it. Get me a deck. <laughs> she was, she was ready and she has since played tournaments. She's, uh, she played our devastation game day with a deck of her own creation. She played uh, a local 1K with uh, a deck that was loaned to her, but she learned well enough. She learned. She got comfortable enough playing burn that she beat a life gain deck with it. <laughs> and then lately, or recently, she actually got her first cash finish at FNM playing Gruul Zoo and Pioneer. So she really has started to get a little more of the competitive itch. Now she is self, self-professed. She's professed that she is never going to be as gung-ho about the competitive aspect of the game as I am. She just, you know, mother, three children. Uh, we're going to be homeschooling next year. Like, it's just not something she has enough time to devote to. But the odd F&M here and there, you know, Saturday night Pioneer tournament, she's in. You know, for her, that's a date night. Dinner and a magic tournament is, is on the agenda. So what magic has given me over the years, it's given me a creative outlet for thing, for, for my love of solving puzzles for my love of games, for my love as someone with, a, with ADHD. I don't know how many of you share this thing, but I've noticed that a lot of the people that are diagnosed with ADHD kind of have a little tick, something that they have to be doing in order to stay focused. In my case, I have to have something to do with my hands. And Magic gave me a game where I can be focused, I can be processing, I can be engaging my brain, and doing something with my hands at the same time moving cards around, you know, shuffling the cards in my hand, uh, shuffling cards in general just is something that's always been very soothing for me. 
building decks, holding cards in my hand to build decks. I build them infinitely better when I have the cards physically in my hands and I can move them around. Everything just kind of lays out and makes more sense to me that way. A little bit old school in that regard. Uh, but it gave me an outlet. It gave me, it gave me a way to be myself with a bunch of other people who wanted to do that, that very same thing. Now, I am not the only one that has experienced a net positive gain from life with Magic the Gathering. Now, I've got to scroll through this because we, we, we talk a lot. <laughs> but we're going to go, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Kevin, where are you? Back here, aren't you? Oh, there it is. So, I put out a, a flyer, for lack of a better term, both on Twitter and on our Facebook group. And ultimately, the only two stories I got back were from our first patron and our most recent patron. And I thought it was an interesting kind of dichotomy. So, for starters, we have Kevin McGrath, our first patron who says, when I first started playing Magic, I was the new kid in a public school after having been in a private school most of my life. I was kind of the outcast as a result and wasn't really in a great mental place with everything else going on around me. I was taught to play, and after a while, it gave me a focal point that I've kept coming back to when things, things seem too chaotic or I'm not feeling balanced. <clears throat> no matter what it has given me, the ability to sort, it, to sort as well as adjust my life because the game itself teaches patience as well as forward thinking. This is something you can get in other places, but for me, it was this game. He goes on to say, most of my best moments are marked with the involvement of the game as well. The night before my wedding, me and my friends played some of the most epic multiplayer games well into the night. Each of, the night each of my kids were born. And Magic was there too, keeping me calm when things were at their most hectic. For me, it's not an escape, but a balancing point that has always just kind of been there. Even when I stepped away from the game, when things got bad, I would read and catch up on the lore and the stories that came out of the game. Spending time in that universe created a safe space for me that I hope eventually my kids have as well. I'm pretty sure without the game, I would, be, I would have become a completely or I would have a completely different path and would have missed out on several people's friendship that I would be less of a person if I didn't have. And I can, that story resonates with me really, really well. When you want to talk about some, some memories involving magic in, in big events in life, I went to my wife's junior prom. We were, we were obviously dating at the time. We were 16 and we were different from everybody else. And we had a feeling the prom was not going to go well and we were planning on leaving fairly early anyway. So I had brought my backpack with my cards in it. As I said, if we leave, we can go across 
over here, the venue is like right across the street from the game store, and you can finally get to see the game store. Well, we didn't just go to the game store. I had to bring my cards in, and we sat there at our table at the prom while everybody else is dancing around us playing magic. Come on. I, I, that feels like one of the most unique stories I've, I've ever been able to tell. Like, I, I don't know. You know, magic being a part of big moments in your life is a big deal. I got to meet quote-unquote celebrities because of magic. I got to go to Gen Con because of magic. Because I was working for my local game store owner and I would not have been able to go to Gen Con had I not been working for him. And I wouldn't have started working with him if I hadn't been playing magic in the first place. So, these are the kinds of stories that need to be told. Because they almost never get told. And then the last of these stories I want to tell are from, is from Brandon Wheeler, our newest patron, one of my longest time supporters of the show, but only recently was he able to, uh, was, was he capable of becoming a patron. Other things took precedence in his life. I understand that. I respect that. I'm obviously great, super grateful for the support, the, the financial support now, but I'm infinitely more grateful for this, the emotional support because he was one of the first people to talk to me after I started doing the show. And we've, we've become friends even though we've never met face to face. And Brandon says, so I'll start by saying I met my wife when I was 20 years old. We were quite happy for a long time. I got married at 24. I really wanted to know who she was before I jumped in. For those of you at home, that's a really good idea. I dated Sarah for five years before we got married. We lived together for two of them to make sure we wouldn't kill each other. It's a good idea, generally speaking. Anyway, said I really wanted to know who she was before I jumped in. We had our son, strangely enough, nine months later. Postpartum depression is real and very hard to deal with, but we got through it. About four years later, my wife started to push for another child. I want to stress, I love my son to pieces, but he's not an easy child. Brendan says, I had a very hard time thinking I could handle another child. I honestly felt less than a good parent. We fought, 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 fought for four years before I finally just let it happen. We had my daughter. I'm so glad we did. About a year later, I'm presuming it's Brandon's wife's cousin, got in huge trouble and the cousin's children were put into foster care. Says that's when my marriage started going downhill. His wife wanted to take them in. Brandon couldn't handle it, financially or emotionally. I felt bad because it's not the kid's fault, but I was already at my limits. And Brandon has had some other, some other things happen in his life experience that I, I completely understand this. There are, there are some significant health problems that Brandon has that are unique to his situation. So I can understand something like that making you feel like you're already at your limit and someone's wanting to try to pile on some more. That's got to be a strain, and I can only imagine how that made you feel. His wife started pulling away, said my best friend was going through some terrible stuff at the same time, and we lost touch. 
I really didn't have anything other than my kids to put my effort into, and I felt frustrated and empty. So I started playing Magic in 94 and got out about 2002. So with all this going on, I had just started getting back into Magic. I decided to put the, the, the energy, the pent-up energy I had into major effort for Magic. Said I can't really put into words how much it helped me focus on something else and get some measure of happiness in a very dark time in my life. Getting back into a magic in just a, the few short years, I've gained so many friends that are amazing people. My wife and I ended up going to therapy, which helped. I thought we were together for another couple of years. We just separated in March and we're filing divorce papers. I've been in a very bad place the last couple of months. I miss my children. My heart is broken. I really don't think I would have dealt with it as well as I have without magic. I haven't dealt with it the best. Just focusing on a game that's so deep, that's so complex, really helped take my mind off the really rough parts of my life. My magic friends are so incredible. Wow. So we go from me who never really experienced the kind of lives that other people have all the way through the spectrum to someone who has, has experienced some of, the, some of the worst that life has to offer. And through it all, this game has been something that helped him in a really major way. And that's kind of the thing I wanted to highlight. With all the uncertainty, with everything else going on in this world, even within, even with all the strife surrounding Wizards of the Coast themselves, magic is still something that should be a positive influence, both on those of us playing it and on the world at large. As, as Brian Canada once famously told me, he said... Uh, once you start playing Magic, you can't, believe of no, you can't believe it when somebody else says they don't. When somebody else says they've never tried. It just, it, it doesn't feel like something that can happen. So, Magic is a game that, you know, the name is there. It's Magic the Gathering. You gather people together. You bring people together. And that is one of the most... While, while obviously you are going to get some bad eggs and those are the ones you need to discard, get out of here, get them away. They don't need any, they don't need to be here for the long haul. They need to out themselves as quickly as possible so we can all move on without them. I've had to make some difficult decisions when it comes to people I thought were my friends thanks to magic. But the ones that I've kept have been friends for life because they're good people who we bonded over a shared love of this wild crazy game so that's all I have for this week everybody I hope you've enjoyed it I really missed being able to do this every week I mean for lack of a better term this is my therapy it's my outlet it's my doing this show is one of my mental health centers because it gives me something to focus on, a way to help other people. And without further ado, let's dive into how you can tell me how to do this better. 
I'm on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. I'm on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. Uh, we have a Facebook group for the show called uh, Homeward Pathfinders. Sorry, I'm trying to pull up the next segment piece. But we have a Facebook group for the show called the Homeward Pathfinders. We have a Discord for those of you who become patrons of the show where we discuss episode topics. We freely and openly share deck lists. We brew decks together sometimes. You know, it's, it's good fun. To make the Doctor Who reference. You know, we made up every 10 years or so. Talk about caves. It's good fun. For a minute. <laughs> um, where is it? Where is it? Okay. That's that's where we started. I think. Yeah, that's where I'm going to go with that one. So. That's all I've got for this week. Uh, if you want, uh, sorry, I'm sidetracked. If you want to become a patron of the show, you want to get access to the Discord. You want me to put your deck in the fast lane segment, or when I remember to get things set back up to do the riding in cars with cards segment, the separate video episode thing that I was doing there for a while. Or you want to have your own patron episode where I cover your topic. You help me write the episode. Head over to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. This show's always going to be free, but thanks to support from people like Brandon, like Kevin, like Luke, that have, have been steadfast in their emotional support and financial, we were able to upgrade the, the audio equipment, and we're working on some other things. So thank you for your your support thus far and thank you for your continued support and in wake of everything that's been going on for the last two weeks there is an episode of a podcast on the web that i cannot recommend highly enough uh the podcast is color of magic and the newest episode talks about the struggles of being a person of color playing Magic the Gathering, and it is something you should definitely check out. They did a fantastic job. So, I know it's been a few weeks, so I can't not do MTG dad jokes. I love puns. I'm a, I'm a father. I have children. I have to be able to tell family-appropriate jokes, but we, we got to mix the magic into them every now and then. Uh, the first one... I was actually replying for an attempt to get a free arena code. <laughs> it said, tell me your best dad joke, and if I laugh, I'll DM you a code. Apparently, it wasn't that funny. Uh, but it says, I, I, it was me. I said, I told Brett last week that I wasn't sure what all the fuss with Companion was about. They just lure us into building better decks. He says, I think you're on to something here. <laughs> we have... Uh, Jonathan Medina, who says, someday this bug, referring to distant memory being bugged on MTGO and would cause the game to crash, and people were doing, were doing horrible things with it and exploiting that bug for no fun and only profit. 
But Jonathan says, someday this bug will be nothing more than a distant memory. I said, y'all know what I'm about. I can't not tell that one. <laughs> Pedro Carvalho says, finally, I've inverted the losing streak. And he's talking about playing Demir Inverter in Pioneer. Oh, come on. That one's great. Uh, oh, man, I can't remember your name. At Delmo222 had his Monoractos guide. It's Mono R and then hyphen and Actos. And it's about a historic Mono Red aggro deck featuring the Death Whirler combo. If you don't know what that is, that's Call the Death Dweller reviving Goblin Chain Whirler and giving it both Death Touch and Lifelink. Or giving, no, it gives it Death Touch and something else Lifelink. Uh, if you give Goblin Chain Whirler Death Touch before its ability resolves, you get to wipe your opponent's board. You get to build a Plague Wind for three mana out of your graveyard. And I said... I've contemplated building this for Pioneer, and I can't imagine it's not fantastic and historic. I'm going to have to give this a whirl. A chain whirl, that is. <laughs> MTG Arena said, every day should be World Otter Day, to be honest, but we'll take it. And I said, it really ought to be. I'll see myself out. John Rolfe says, Thank you for, thanks to Watsy for allowing me to preview this sweet dragon. I've always treasured spoiler season. Dragon in question is Gadrak the Crown Scourge, 3 mana, 5-4. Can't attack unless you control 4 or more artifacts, and at the beginning of each end step, you create a treasure token for each non-token non creature that died this turn. A-plus quality pun, John. And last but not least, from our dear editor over at Pure MTGO, Joshua Clater. Says LCQ Day 2 thread playing Yorian Esper because I like my magic cards like I like my store brands. They have to be great value. Said it's almost a miss, but I'm not stingy. <laughs> I appreciate it. So thanks again for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. We will try our best to be back here next week for episode 75. 75. I didn't think I was going to make it this far. Thanks to everyone who's been there with me through the whole ride, who's been steadfast with me, either emotionally, financially, or both. We'll catch you next week. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you have questions, comments, concerns, again, hit me up on Twitter, at HomewardPathMTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. Uh, or, you know, you want a, a more direct say in the goings-on of this show, Patreon.com slash HomewardPathMTG. That's the easiest way to make me do whatever you want to. So, without any further ado, I will turn you loose for the week. And remember the Twelfth Doctor's words of wisdom. Never be cruel. Never be cowardly. Remember that hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So go forth, be kind, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>